Welcome to Empowered Thinking at Play. I'm Kim Nelson, writer, meditation teacher, confidence coach, and someone with a very curious mind. I'm here talking to guests and exploring what makes them feel empowered, how they've created a stronger mindset, and their interpretation of what empowerment really is. My guest is Bryony Duckett. She is the founder of Yoga Bee's Children's Yoga School and has been teaching children for over 20 years and trained over 500 yoga teachers. She facilitates trainings in the UK, South Africa and Finland and the list of countries continues to grow. But like many people this year, Bryony has also faced loss and there was a question I asked her which she needed some time to think about. And that was, what are you becoming? She came back to me with an answer via text. And this was her answer. I am becoming real. The last few months have peeled away so many layers. At one stage, I thought of it as losing everything. My studio, my relationship, my home, my car, work, friends... After many tears, fear, anger, grief, vulnerability, therapy, a lot of disciplined practice, a shifting mindset, hibernation, stillness, self-care, my realisation was in fact, it's not loss, it's shedding, it's getting real, it's listening to instinct, it's allowing all those feelings but not losing yourself in them. On the contrary, it's finding yourself in them, your real self. I know I still have a long way to go, maybe a lifetime, but the steps are being taken, one at a time and forward. I was blown away by that answer, actually, and it certainly says real to me. I feel honoured that she allowed her feelings to be shared on this podcast. Vulnerability is most definitely a power. And this was my second attempt at interviewing Bryony remotely, her being in the UK and me being in Belgium, as the first attempt was a complete disaster. The interview kept cutting out after eight seconds and we tried in vain for 45 minutes to try and speak longer. That is persistence and dedication for you. I'm so glad we got to speak properly, albeit a week later. Here is the interview. Okay, let's hope the universe allows us to speak for more than eight seconds. I just wanted to kick off, actually, with a question about your self-care. What are you doing to look after yourself in the midst of all this chaos that we have going on this year? Well, I feel very you know, very fortunate and something that really has come up for me this whole four months, just keep coming back to gratitude. Um, right early on, within the first couple of weeks of sort of COVID revealing itself, I read this brilliant quote, which just said, you know, this is a time where we're either going to fall into a hole or move through a portal. And that, that really stuck with me. Mm. And every time I felt like, oh, I'm dangling on the edge of a hole, I've, I've, that sort of 
saying has come back to me and it's like, no, let's move towards the portal, you know, and I'm very lucky that I have a, a garden space, you know, a, a beautiful outdoor space. And that has really been my sanctuary throughout this. And yeah, so nature, outdoor space for me. And I do love it. Mm. And I do love a good soak in the bath. Water is definitely <laughs> my happy place. <laughs> you know, so bathing long baths with a cup of tea and a good book is is yeah soul food <laughs> a cup of tea and a bath I haven't actually put those two together before oh yes a cup of tea in the bath with a book perfect combination <laughs> that's funny and um, what made you want to teach to children in the first place well, I was teaching in a classroom and Montessori, and then I went actually traveling in India, and I found myself up in the north of India in Dharamsala um, and spent some time in the t Tibetan children's village up there. And really, they were using the Montessori method, and I had gone in to observe and go and spend some time. And what I noticed which really blew my mind, you know, was these children who'd been such through such sort of unimaginative hardship, how focused and present and grounded that they were. And basically they were doing all through the day, there were little moments where they would come into meditations. The older children were leading the younger children through asana practice. They would do pranayama breathing in the day. And really in that moment for me, I something just went off in my head and it was, yeah, this mission to bring yoga and meditation back to, you know, back to the West really and start to incorporate it into my own classroom. Really in the beginning, it was just a bit of a trial, trial and error. And it was my own yoga practice and meditation that I was playing with really, um, exploring with them. And noticed within sort of four, four or five weeks what uh, huge difference it was making in the classroom. And other teachers started to come in, you know, and ask, oh, can you bring some of that into our classroom? And eventually just started sort of sharing it around the school. And really it grew, it grew from there. The more I was seeing what amazing benefits it was having, the more I wanted to share it and research it and learn about it. And that's when I sort of... Um, you know, through a process left actually teaching in one classroom so that I could share, share this yoga and mindfulness in many classrooms with many children. That's great. So, so it grew organically. Mm. Oh, it's been very organic. I have not had a business plan. <laughs> My oh. brother went, Ryan, you should really have a business plan. But I feel like the, the passion has just sort of supported it. And yeah, it has been a very organic process. So it literally moved from then doing an after-school club, then going into a nursery, then starting a studio class. And I was teaching about 18 classes. I think that was my, my most per week and literally traveling from North London to South to East to West to get to, you know, the various places that would take me, take me in. Because in the beginning, 12, 13 years ago, uh, schools were not as open to, you know, bringing yoga into the classes as they are now. So, 
yeah, it, it just sort of organically grew. And then it got to a point sort of eight years into the teaching where I felt now I'm just sort of limited to these classes. And the only way I'm really going to be able to share it with more children is to uh, train teachers, you know, to share this information with other teachers. And so that's how my yoga bees training started. That's great. And have you started training online now? Yes, this has been my lockdown project. So I've resisted it hugely. And in the beginning, I was getting so many emails, please, can we do the, you know, the training online? And I just, I've always felt so strongly that teaching children's yoga is obviously, you know, everyone, you can read books about it, and you can watch tutorials, but actually, it's so important for me to have a hands on a connection with the teachers who I know who are then going out to teach. So I've kept my foundation course as a hands-on and I'm going to just wait until studios reopen and we can, we can do that again. But my advanced training, which is available to uh, students who've already done the first part and who are actively teaching that I have just moved online. And that's kind of quite a lot more sort of theoretical it's almost like I think of it as the, the background information, you know, it's sort of the anatomy, the physiology, the social and emotional development, the chakras, the nadis, you know, how we can understand the whole of, of yoga and the whole of the sort of the children that we're working with. So, yes, I have moved it online. Mm. And what have you learned about yourself from teaching online? Hmm. Well, I've had to learn a lot about the technical stuff, you know, I can talk about yoga and all, you know, the anatomy and, and how we can engage children, but doing it online is a whole new ball game. It's just very strange. You know, it's very strange just teaching little boxes, um, the weirdest part is at the end where we would usually all be hugging and chatting and there would be, you know, sort of an interaction. Now it's just, you can leave the meeting. Oh. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, so what have I learned about myself? Well, have to be patient. Uh, really need to go with the flow. I mean, moving this thing online was very much a, you know, we have to adapt as species do, you know, when things change and shift. Um, we have to, we have to work with the situation we've got, which might not be ideal, you know, for me, teaching online is far from ideal. Um, but it's, it's what we can do at the moment in this time. So exploring that. And the amazing thing is, I think, because everyone's sharing this experience, is that I feel there's a lot more empathy, understanding, uh, room for error. I mean, as you and I know, <laughs> it took us how many tries to actually make this happen? Yes. <laughs> and at stage you could just go, oh, okay, it's not working and, and walk away from it. Or you can go, okay, hang on, you know, let's just sort of persevere here. And hopefully we all grow, grow through that experience. Definitely. What I'm finding, um, a lot of people are finding the whole online courses, workshops, doing yoga online, 
when they're already on Zoom a lot for Zoom meetings during work, it's um, very difficult for a lot of people to make that transition to be relaxed in front of the computer when they've been on the computer all day. Have yeah. you been offering any advice to people who find that um, quite difficult to make that transition? Um, I mean, I think you just have to do what feels right for you. Um, I had actually signed up to do a course. I was going to go and um, go on, you know, on another training in Copenhagen. And of course, that was cancelled. And they did move it online. And for me, I didn't actually feel to do it online. You know, I thought I would actually rather wait and work with my own practice and wait until I can possibly be, you know, hands on and in a space with that teacher. Um, so that was just a personal thing. And I think I would just as I did to all of my, you know, the people who signed up, you know, really get them to think, is this, is this uh, how you, you know, how you want to explore this? Do you want to wait? I have to say a lot of people seem very eager to do it online. If that was kind of the only choice within this time, some people have waited. Um, and I guess at the moment we just don't know, where this is going or how you know how long we're going to be in this situation so i think people's attitude to it is changing more and more you know the more may the less people maybe have access to hands-on classes maybe the more open they are to being online but breaks you definitely need lots of breaks yeah <laughs> I, I specifically didn't want to do a sort of nine hour day online so we do a two and a half hour in the morning and within that two and a half hours, you know, we have a break and we also use these breakout rooms. I don't know if you've explored the yes, breakout rooms. Yes, I have. They're, yeah. they're amazing because it takes you away from this gallery of 12 little boxes to actually interacting one-on-one -on -one or little groups of three or four. So really just to change the dynamics the whole way through your through your sessions. And yes, then we have I, th a I think that's genius. <laughs> amazing it's amazing what i mean zoom none of us had even well i certainly have never heard of it four months ago yeah. you know and it's just amazing that how quickly it came up and offered us a different way to to teach and to share um so yeah breaks and keep it varied uh we had a big break in the middle and then another two two and a half hours in the afternoon and then I'm also doing stuff on a teaching platform. So there's more self-work. And to be honest, I feel that almost in a way they're getting more out of this format because you know, you know what it's like when you go on a training and you're there for nine hours, maybe a day, and you want to absorb as much as you can from the teacher. But at some stage, you just sort of start to <laughs> glaze over a little bit, you know, mm. you become you become saturated with information and I think online doing it this way it's giving people time to digest it to read more about it to really have to experience it themselves because we aren't we can't physically you know be be experiencing a lot of the 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 hands-on stuff together so it is encouraging them to sort of go deeper into their own exploration of it definitely 
And so when you have been teaching in England and you've also been teaching in South Africa, mm-hmm. have, you, have you noticed a difference in um, the types of people that you teach in terms of how they approach the yoga training? To be honest, um, I mean, you know, when I'm teaching in England or in Europe, I mean, I taught, you know, for quite a few years in Brussels, actually. And I just found that there were so many people. I mean, when I used to teach in Brussels, I remember one training. I think I had 12 people and 10 different nationalities. Mm. Uh, So often I have the experience on the trainings that people are coming from all different you know, backgrounds and walks of life and different cultures and races and religions and they all come together and it's quite a communal space. I mean, yes, teaching a training in Finland is quite different from teaching maybe a training in South Africa. Uh, South Africa, I suppose I'm finding people there would be very physical very hands-on very cuddly you know everyone hugs each other and and in Finland (laughs) I would arrive all ready to hug and get people to you know be hands-on and I realized it would take a couple of days for them to feel more comfortable with that you know um Mm. so yeah I suppose different sort of personalities but I think the amazing thing when you're coming together to explore children's yoga specifically is it's all about connecting in with your own inner child to do that and once we get rid of all the adult inhibition that we arrive with and all meet through our inner children all of the other stuff goes away you know all the other judgments and all the the biases and all the you know the prejudices and the fears and we just come together uh, with the vulnerability and a sort of an openness to explore and share yeah and um what can you teach the teachers um on how to deal with problematic children what are your tips there Mm -hmm. um lots of breathing the breath awareness is is a huge thing and you know giving children uh, that tool of their own breath awareness is for me one of the you know the, the keys to kind of classroom management is getting a child to recognize their emotions coming up and giving them tools with the breath or with certain movements Um, to try and manage those so it really is just about meeting each child where they are at you know I don't believe children sort of come in and they specifically want to be uh, disruptive or naughty or chaotic or whatever sort of labels you want to give them often this behavior is it's a communication you know it's a communication from them that something is is not being met so it's about trying to just arrive grounded so important you have to be grounded and this is where your practice uh, is so key in this um to arrive in a space grounded we are holding the space facilitating a space for them um and as as we are offering them breathing techniques we are using them ourselves as teachers so that would be 
biggest the biggest thing really stay grounded know that they are not here trying to disrupt your class your lesson you know you have to be spontaneous and really just that thing of meeting meeting them where they're at mm. I am um, when I've been teaching children I teach once a week at mm-hmm. a school and uh the best prop I ever invested in was the Hoberman spear, uh, spear the breathing ball. <laughs> Hoberman's, absolutely. Yeah. That's the first materials I say to teachers to buy because often I've had a moment, well, a few, very, a few moments where everything you've tried is not working. And I will literally simply sit down on the floor with my Hoberman spear and start breathing. You know, and while I'm breathing, I'm calming. And it, you know what it's like. It almost puts them into a sort of breathing trance, <laughs> you know, and then everybody just starts to calm down, slow down, and then you can move from there again. So good. I'm glad you've discovered the. Yes. The- <laughs> it's great. Have you got any um, other advice on props? Um, actually, over the years, I've realized less is more. So in the beginning, I used to have a prop for everything. And then I realized, you know, half the problem with our children is that they are so overstimulated. And here I am, the yoga teacher, arriving with all the stimuli, you know. So actually, pretty much what I carry with me now is a chime. um, And I always start and end my classes with three chimes and three breaths. And it also gives the children that sort of um, that sort of boundary in a way, you know, that that familiarity, like, okay, this is the beginning of the class, we breathe, we ground, this is the end of the the class, we breathe, we ground, and whatever happens in the middle of that class can, you know, can be changing. But that sort of sense of safety for them in the knowledge that it's, it's the same. One of my most fun things to do with them and this also actually uh, originated for me on a, on a different trip to India I was in Mumbai station I had the worst food poisoning and we were there for about six hours where we had to wait for a, a swap over for a train um, and I saw these two little children playing with a plastic okay it was a plastic bag which is not great but It was a plastic bag that they played with for, I kid you not, it must have been two hours, throwing it up in the air, blowing it, making different things with it, chasing it, wrapping each other, standing on it, you know, making parachutes, balloons, blowing in it. It was amazing. And really in that moment, I thought, wow, there's all these toys and all this stuff that's manufactured to entertain children, but really they need very little, you know? just need something like that so I am I use bits of fabric bits of sort of netting fabric and often we can spend a whole class literally blowing the fabrics catching the fabrics catching with one hand you know sort of juggling fabrics thinking of all these different creative things that we can do with literally one piece of material and children are creative you know you start it off you give them a few ideas And before you know it, you've had an hour class focusing on a a piece of fabric and the various different, you know, things we can do with it or turn it into. Um, Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. 
Um, I also want to talk to you about your experience with some amazing teachers, um, Tich Not Han and yeah. John Kabat-Zinn. I love his uh, shower tip where he says, check if you're present and you will know that if you're in the shower, because if you're in the shower, your mind will always wander. Uh-huh. So, I, and I, I think he's a great mindful teacher. And then Shiva Ray. Now I'm in awe of her. She has these amazing um, meditation flows that she does. And she's very, the way she moves her body is like liquid. It's amazing. Yeah. What was your experience with her? Um, actually, my experience with her was literally quite brief. It was a sort of a five day training with her. And I think I was pretty in awe of her most of the time, too. I think with a lot of these teachers, actually just being in their presence, you know, and really being with someone who who walks their talk, you know, mm. someone who really embodies everything that they're saying and it's not just what they're posting or it's not just you know uh what they're teaching others um John Kabat-Zinn you know I spent a week with him in in Copenhagen he was doing it was one of his last sort of European uh retreat trainings that he does with the MBSR and just meditating in the company of of him you know I think took the practice so much deeper um I've always had this real thing from when I started off that I want to go as close to the source as I can and so that's why I think my journey's kind of led me to 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 um training with some of these amazing teachers Thich Nhat Hanh you know he was the first person I ever did mindful eating with wow um, <laughs> teachers retreat in London it was four days and a friend of mine you know had told me about it and I'd never never even heard of Thich Nhat Hanh and my my sort of um learning of mindfulness was very much at the beginning so it was such an incredible blessing to go and spend this four days with him and my first mindful eating was eating a tangerine with Thich Nhat Hanh and I tell you I never knew I never, I've never known a, a piece of food as intimately as I did in that moment. You know, from the minute he sort of puts his nail into the skin and opens it and what you can feel and what you can smell and the little, you know, bursts of, of juice that appear and then smelling the orange and tasting it. and But not even just that, like what your hand is doing and the movement. And so that was, yeah, that was an experience I will never forget and yeah when I when I teach that now myself that mindful eating it's almost like he's he's there supporting that you know I don't know if you find that's lovely find that as a teacher sometimes when you're teaching it's not actually it doesn't feel like it's you teaching yes you know it's something it's your teachers and all the teachers I think from the past almost coming through you just uh, sort of you are the channel and they, they, their teachings are coming through you almost in a way. Yeah, what a great way of putting it. I like that. Gosh, I'm just imagining the orange peeling. Oh, what a great experience. I mean, I recommend it. I really recommend because often you'll do it with a raisin, you know. Yes. I'm not a, 
huge fan of raisins. I've got to, you know, I've got to love them over the years of teaching that exercise. Um, but with a, yeah, a tangerine, it was just a whole, a whole sensorial experience I can highly recommend. <laughs> mm. are, there any, are there any other teachers that you um, are eager to learn from? So also I, uh, last year I, I did a week silent retreat actually with Richard Miller, who created the iRest program. Ah, yes. And he as well. I mean, just all of these teachers and the wisdom they've got and the experience they've got. And it's, you know, you, 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 you can't really absorb it all in the time with them, but it, it really always just awakens, you know, awakens something that you're then eager to go and learn more about or to practice. But he, what an incredible, incredible man, um, incredible teacher. Then Donna Fari, I did, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, I went on a retreat with the wonderful Donna Fari, um, kind of learning about somatic movement. So all of these teachers, you know, I kind of just arrive with an open mind and leave with a very full one, <laughs> a very full one, a very satisfied one. And then it's just continuing to explore those in your own practices, really. Um, I think you and I may have met on a Joe Barnett. We did. Training. Yes. yes. So love Joe um, and his teachings that obviously um, he shares. Yin, I love. So also restorative yoga. I think uh, over time, my my personal practice has become a lot more sort of yin, restorative, meditative, mindful so um, Judith Lassiter was very key in all my restorative training. Are you familiar with Judith Lassiter? No, I'm not actually. Oh, she's amazing too. Everything that comes out of her mouth, you just want to write down. <laughs> you know, she's also a wonderfully wise teacher. In fact, so a lot of these teachers, um, you know, kind of started off in California with Iyengar when he came over and yeah. I know she trained personally you know she was one of Iyengar's first students over in California and but her practice moved more to restorative and she's yeah, a wonderful teacher highly recommend mm. oh great I just wanted to go back to the Joe Joe Bartnett um, yes. because one thing that I took away from him was when he was asked a question, he was asked a question, questions all the time. He yeah. would often say, I don't know the answer to that. And he said it in ah. such a confident way. Mm. And he said to everybody, look, I'm not going to say, I think, I, I think yeah. it's this. I'm not going to pretend I know the answers because I don't. And I think you have more respect for me when I say, I don't know the answer. And mm -hmm. I've took that away with me and I've noticed since then that people do try to guess an answer. They try to, you know, be knowledgeable about something when they have no clue. Mm. And there seems to be a shame in admitting that you don't know the mm. answer to something. So my children, you know, they would ask me, oh, what's that? And I, I said, I don't know. And they look at me, you know, in shock. You're supposed to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, you don't know everything? <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was refreshing to to um, hear a teacher 
Mm. you know open up to like I don't know this yeah I absolutely resonate with that 100% I really took that away from Joe too and I think he's actually got teach you know t-shirts printed (laughs) from various students (laughs) that say I don't know but (laughs) you know in various languages and I love that as well you know just I don't know exactly, but this is what I think, or this is what I understand, or this is, you know, the knowledge that I have on this subject so far. Um, Yeah, I think I really took that away from him too. And whenever I do a training, you know, right in the beginning, I, and I always teach in a circle if I can, children and adults. Um, And I always say, you know, we arrive here, all of us as teachers and all of us as students. You know, our learning never ends. And if you, uh, you know, have anything to share on any subject, please do. Because we can't possibly know all the answers, you know. Mm. Um, we, we are forever learning. So what's your definition of empowerment? So I think for me, empowerment is about feeling peaceful, settled, just my my truest self really not needing to make any effort it's not really the right word but not having to try or strive in any way just really that moment where you can be and in that moment that everything feels like it's going to be okay um in the midst of the storm you know a real serenity peacefulness calmness um, I guess an inner confidence, self-worth, all of those feelings. And they can just be momentary um, as we try and, well, for me, switching off from all the chitta vritti, you know, the busyness, the thoughts, the monkey mind, and really fully immerse myself in, in the moment, um, which has been you know, just having glimpses of that during, during the practice. So yeah, empowerment. I feel it too when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching my, my trainings, training uh, teachers to teach children or when I'm teaching children or teens or adults, when I'm in the midst of that flow, you've kind of gone off script and you've gone off lesson plan and you're just teaching from, from intuition Um, I guess that would also be for me a sense of a sense of empowerment, almost like the teaching is coming through me in some way. And what about an empowering exercise that you do with the children? And one that I really love to do with the children um, and with teens and actually adults, too, it works amazingly, is called the volcano pose. So in the midst of when we're having really strong feeling, be it anger or sadness or fear, um, major irritation, whatever it might be, we imagine in the pit of our bellies, this bubbling, burning, red, purple, whatever color you want to give it, angry magma bubbling away. And we bring our hands into namaste down by the bottom of the belly breathe in deeply as we lift this feeling up through the body and when we get to the crown of the head we we explode as we exhale all the air out and as the lava is beginning to settle and cool and calm we just take a moment to notice how different the body feels so when you're feeling angry and tense 
you know, your whole body really feels that your shoulders are hunched up and your maybe your hands are in fists. And then when we release it at the top, everything just begins to, to soften and to calm so that they can really feel the difference between the, the intensity of the thought and how it feels in their body. And once they've released that, how different the body feels. Also giving them this feeling of being able to manage their own their own emotions. Um, we can get so sucked into being in the volcano. Um, and so just having those tools that allows us to lift ourselves out of that and to know really that that this strong emotion will will pass, will pass. It doesn't own us and we ultimately can control or manage it. Well, that will certainly be an exercise that I'll be trying after this podcast. What about teaching children how to meditate? What are your top tips? Hmm. Um, to meditate. I think really... The top tip would not be to say, let's meditate. <laughs> the top tip would be, I mean, I think of um, my 11-year-old at home and how he sort of accessed it was through yoga nidra, actually. Mm. You know, so when he was going to sleep and really struggling to fall asleep, playing a yoga nidra or some kind of guided imagery for him was very helpful. Um, I do try and introduce it in my classes in various ways. So sitting and a lot of body scanning, you know, so actually while they are sitting and we, I imagine that we're sh shining a little sort of torchlight of attention going over the body. And I think really while they're listening to you and they are imagining or feeling this torchlight going through the various parts of their bodies, they are meditating you know they are the, the the minds are starting to quieten a little bit and they are becoming more in the moment i mean with a child with an adult if you tell anybody clear your mind yeah you know, it's it's impossible right yes. you're sitting there going my mind is clear clear my mind is clear oh now i'm thinking about clearing my mind does that mean my mind is, you know <laughs> the chitta starts the chitta chatter and then there's no quietening it but giving them something to focus on. So whether that be, you know, staring at a candle or holding a pebble um, or listening to a chime, you know, listen to the chime for as long as you hear it. And when you can't hear it anymore, raise your hand. And they're all there so intently listening to the chime that in those 40 seconds, even one minute, they are, their minds are clear, you know? So yeah, giving them a, a sort of a, a focus, I think, rather than just coming into sitting and being quiet. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, okay, so I think I've asked all my questions. Just one more thing. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite quote to do with yoga? Um. I mean, for the longest time, I've had, you know, be the change you want to see on the bottom of my email. But actually working with teachers, I'd have to say my favorite quote is uh, Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. 
and I just love that you know for me yoga is community it's union um it's linking it's merging it's bringing together and if a few of us can come together and and do that you know that's lovely oh I'm so glad the universe was good to us today so we could speak (laughs) for more than 11 seconds it's been a joy and speaking to you too I'm glad we persevered You can find out more about Bryony on her website, which is Yoga Bees. That's yoga and bees, B-E-E-Z dot com. And you can also find her on Instagram and Facebook. It's Yoga Bees. And if you want to find out more about me and my empowering online workshops, check out my website, which is mindfulthinkingatplay.com.